Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of design, building, and remodeling. Hi, this is Todd Miller with Isaiah Industries, and with me today as co-host of Construction Disruption is Ryan Bell. Ryan, how are you doing today? Hey, Todd, I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing well also. I have a question for you, though. So, what do you call a bear with no teeth? Um, I don't know. I don't know. A bear with no teeth. So, so Ethan here in the studio is nodding his head. He's got it, but he's not mic'd up. A bear with no teeth is a gummy bear. Oh, geez. I've heard that one. <laughs> I've heard that one. Oh, well, we started with something. So as a reminder to our audience, um, both Ryan and I and our mystery guest, who is soon to be revealed, um, have a challenge word today that we have been challenged to work into the conversation at some point. So you as the audience can be listening for those, um, see where perhaps we use a word that you're thinking, ah, maybe that's the challenge word. And at the end of the show, we will reveal whether our challenge words uh, challenge has been successful for each of us or not. Oh, my goodness, that became a cumbersome sentence, didn't it, Ryan? <laughs> Just a little bit. Okay. On with the show. Well, as today's guest, I'm very excited about this. This is a gentleman I've known for a little while and actually was on one of his podcasts a little bit ago. Um, But uh, today's guest is Tatsuya Nakagawa, known by his many friends and followers and fans as Tats. Um, He is the CEO of Castagra, a roof coatings manufacturer based in Reno, Nevada. He also hosts the Specified Growth and Roofer Reflection podcasts. Uh, Tats, welcome to Construction Disruption. Yeah, thank you, Todd. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Well, it's good to have you here today. So let's let's just dig right into some things here. So uh, we have a lot of ground to cover today. Um, can we start out maybe by you telling us a bit about your background and um, how you ended up founding Castagra? Sure. Um, you know, I've I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, and um, I remember when I was ten years old. Um, a friend of mine had a pear tree in their backyard and I had this idea of, you know, why don't we go take those pears and sell them? So we, we found this, you know, location that was near a bus stop and a convenience store. And we set up this, this table and, you know, these pears are horrible. They're very ugly and our execution is very, very poor and we weren't doing very well, but there was a, a, a guy and as I think girlfriend that came up to our booth just before we were sort of taking things down and said, I love entrepreneurs. And um, he pulled out a crisp $20 bill and gave it to us. And that was just, to me, a million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I was hooked. I, like, I love the idea that you could go out there and have an idea and you try something and your execution sucks and your product sucks and you don't know what you're doing. But if you give it a go, you never know what's going to happen. And I've always sort of carried that with me. I had other hobbies and interests, you know, from 10 to when I grew up. But um, I, entrepreneurship kind of stuck with me. And I, I knew I needed a mentor. 
you know, back then there wasn't as many cool podcasts like yours or, you know, other sort of online resources which really break down how businesses started. So naturally just um, I, I thought a mentor would be good. And a friend of mine introduced me to a guy named Peter Rosen. So he was an inventor type. He invented the Windows media player, sold it to Bill Gates. He worked on some early 3D printing technology. He you know, invented a steel measurement technology that later partially inspired the MRI. So I was like, I need to work with him for free and I need to learn what I need to learn to just get an idea of how to do this. So that's what I did. And we developed the relationship over the years. I had a company that helped launch different innovations into the market for about 10 years. And then um, I basically uh, was in a situation where I wanted a better alignment with the type of things I was doing instead of just promoting any product and Peter invented something earlier, which is um, a, a coding technology by accident, and and we decided to launch it. So a little, little long-winded story, but basically, um, you know, that that's kind of how it started. Wow! Certainly tells us. Don't ignore those people that people introduce us to. That was a pretty meaningful introduction for you. Very cool. Well. So, Castagra, you kind of clued us in already. They're a roof coatings manufacturer. Um, I'd love to have kind of an overview of your product line and where your products are typically used, how they're used. Sure, absolutely. I think we didn't originally start in roofing. I think, um, you know, as many of things, the past never linear when it comes to entrepreneurship. And uh, we had a talented uh, sales uh, executive who's still with the company and is now an owner that had a lot of contacts in the oil and gas space. So, um, you know, he started to connect us with opportunities. And what we started to originally use the technology, which Peter accidentally invented, you know, at that point, 20 years earlier, um, into coating tanks like petroleum tanks. So talk about a, a, you know, very specific application, the inside of tanks, not all the inside, the bottom third or the bottom 10 feet of a tank. Internal yeah. tank linings is probably as obscure of an application <laughs> that you can get. Yes. <laughs> Um, and then you just started from there and just kind of grew out, started to work with the top um, oil and gas companies in the world, and then got into water and wastewater because of it's drinking water safe and coated, you know, mil, you know up to million gallon uh, water tanks. And then 2014 hit, which was when the oil prices tanked mm-hmm. and, you know, we saw our sales plummet, you know, 80% in two months, which, you know, I must imagine it's similar to what some of the restaurants were feeling during the start of the pandemic. Um, and we luckily were able to pivot into flooring and then ultimately into roofing um, based on demand and interest. Very interesting. So I, I'm kind of curious, do you feel that there are ways in which your products or the technology and what they can do um, are disruptive uh, to various industries out there? And and love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's many different products in the roofing industry, and we weren't intending to go into the roofing industry, but we kept getting interest. You know, we were in the flooring space. The, the decision makers are very similar there. And we started to get um, things like, hey, you know, we need a product like yours. There's a gap. Existing products don't, you know, cover what you cover. And of course, being in a a company over 10 years that 
launch products or evaluate the feasibility of products, you get a little skeptical, right? Because everyone loves their own ideas. Sure. Everything is the best in the world. And then you go to the market and the customer doesn't care. So we spent a lot of time trying to validate it and understand the space. Uh, and part of the things, uh, one of the approaches you can take is just go to the toughest applications or the biggest critics first. Like for us, on the market side, it was high profile projects and professional football stadiums, professional baseball stadiums. You can't just go in, walk in and win, right? Because when you show up, there's 40 other manufacturers sitting there wanting to win that bid so they can go to a professional football stadium and call it work. And uh, we were able to go through that through side-by-side -side tests and win, win those projects. And also uh, going to specifiers and people that have been in the industry for 40 years, they've seen everything um, and you know, win winning them over. The question was, could we do it? And we were able to uh, do it. And that's kind of how uh, we kind of came in. Very interesting. So yeah, you, I, I have to imagine you, you've got some strong competition on those projects and you sure want to get it right also. Um, as you look at the coatings industry, and maybe it's roofing coatings, maybe it's, you know, other uh, markets that you're involved with, um, just kind of curious, you know, looking into your crystal ball, do you think there are some future disruptors coming down the road um, in that industry? And and if so, any dreams on what those could be like? I know I'll just kind of let you in on one. So, so this yeah. is different than anything you've ever probably dealt with. But in metal roofing, you know, we often talk about, and in fact, there is some work being done uh, at the university level um, in this area about the fact that maybe the coatings used on our products could someday um, be solar collectors um, so that you wouldn't have to have a different type of, of solar system on top. Um, but anyway, is there anything that you see coming down the pike that might be a real game changer or, or disruptor? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think you're going to continue to see more products that, you know, have an emphasis on um, sustainability and health. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, during the pandemic, the awareness around that was very, very high. And um, also, you're probably going to see a lot more higher performance type uh, coatings that come into the market. Ours is a high, high performance one with very, very high adhesion, but you're going to see a lot more high performance ones. And I think a lot of those technologies exist at some level in the marketplace. Is it, they usually just end up in the bowels of an R&D department that, you know, that doesn't get support, mainly because, you know, from a finance or a big company perspective, there's a huge advantage to holding the marketplace you know, the way it is with existing specifications. And there needs to be a certain amount of pain from newer newer disruptors to be able to unlock those. So I've heard many cases where people that r run these R&D departments quit because they see all these wonderful things that they've acquired or they came up with, never see the light of day because, you know, it takes a disruptor like yourself or, or Ryan to, to go out and shake up the industry enough to, to pressure you know, these, these companies to, to make a wholesale change. Very interesting. And, and just so our audience knows, bowels is not one of our challenge words. It would be a great one, though. Um, <laughs> but it was not one of our challenge words. So, so, you know, here we are. And, you know, COVID is not too far in our rearview mirror um, at this point. 
Um, were there ways in which COVID impacted your business or industry or um, I guess also even beyond that, are, do you see ongoing ramifications um, as a result of COVID uh, that are going to continue to impact our industry or, or what your business does? Yeah. I, as I mentioned before, there is a, a, a bigger awareness of health, right? Mm-hmm. So the things that are on your roof, um, you know, emitting VOCs, right? You know, as you know, 90% of the air on commercial buildings comes from the roof. So, you know, when you're cooped up inside, you're thinking a lot more about the, the quality of the air and the quality of your environment. So it certainly has an impact. Um, you know, we took a hard break, uh, sorry, no, uh, we, we had a hard uh, uh, time when we the oil prices crashed, which is bad luck, you know, but one of the things that we, we were lucky during the pandemic is that we didn't really have a supply issue. Um, you know, there was That's other great. challenges, but I think we didn't have a supply issue because we didn't share many of the ingredients that our competitors were competing for. Like, you know, ours is plant-based, and use you know is quite unique, so that uh, and there's less processing involved in that. So our supply chain was very very solid. Um, I love to think that it was our company's genius in doing that, but it's just we're just very lucky. But I think the overall direction using as you know least amount of process materials is is a good direction. Uh, generally. So we hope that trend sort of continues. But that was one of our huge advantages is we were using uh, materials that were not competed with the other building materials manufacturers. So our lead times were next to nothing. That is really fascinating because, you know, our industry, the metal roofing industry, did get caught up in some uh, chemical shortages and things that uh, kind of threw us for a loop there for a while. And uh, we still haven't fully recovered from them. So so let's go back to that. Um, I kind of forgot about the fact that your coatings are plant-based and um, means you also have, you know, as you mentioned there, I guess less processing uh, that has to be done. And, and that's fascinating. But... Um, Tell us a little bit more. So, so it was your original partner, it was Steve Rosen, you said, who kind of developed the coatings technology, and you've just yeah. brought it a lot of different places. Yeah. So, so Peter, P- Peter Rosen, um, he he had a friend. This is right now. It's like thirty years back. He had a friend mm-hmm. that was in the carpentry trade, and so this like visualized like late eighties. Lots of high end homes had curved walls. And, you know, picture a curved staircase, like, you know, carpenters have to come in and put baseboards, you know, down the bottom and they'd have to take these, you know, wooden pieces and cut them up into Lego sized pieces and try to reassemble them so they didn't look horrible. It was an absolute nightmare. So, you know, uh, Peter's friends in, in the in the trade came to him because he knew he was an inventor and said, hey, you have to fix this. Like this is this is a huge problem. And it took Peter about six months, but he came up with something, uh, a molding that was flexible, that you can nail into, that you can paint. And um, and for him, this is way before it was trendy, sustainable. And he, when he created that, he accidentally created a coating. 
right? Like you know, like WD forty or the, yeah. the 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 microwave or what whatever. It's just it's just by accident. And being the scientist that he is, he started to coat roofs with it, floors with it. He started to do ship decks with it, and you know he sold a bunch, but then he lost interest and just let it sit there for twenty years. So we're just kind of in a unique situation. Was yeah, there's a lot of people that haven't heard heard about us, um, but the coding has been in the field now for 30 years and performing well. So, because many times when a manufacturer introduces a new product, especially a chemical product, they'll run it through a battery of, you know, hundreds or, you know, hundreds of tests in a lab, right? And then most of the times they'll know 10 years if it's going to work, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's the reality of the situation, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a running joke in the chemical industry is if you want to go broke, um, get into bridge coatings. And it's just one of those things. <laughs> they, they, they need about 15 years um, to see if it's going to work, right? Uh, to, for the market to, to be uh, receptive to it. So we're in a wow. unique situation where we have 30 years of seeing it. So a lot of times when we say, that we, you know, you you haven't heard about us, maybe, but but we have this track record just in a unique situation. That's really cool. Do you do you know more about like how 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 does one discover that they accidentally made a coating? Like how was <laughs> it that he was like, oh, this would be a good coating? <laughs> well, you know, it, that's the that's the funny thing, right? Because the thing is, when people see it, they go, you know, if you hang around creative people, they say, well, what about this? What about that? Right? We, we get that all day, right? And as an operating business, if you start to chase all of them, it yeah. can. But I think, you know, Peter started this, he worked in a wooden garage, and he's curious, right? Because uh, I've watched him innovate for like, like now from being my mentor, he's a business partner still, where, you know, is over 20 years, right? And I still don't 100% understand how his mind works because, you know, it's not a regular thing when you can just kind of invent stuff. But the, the best example that I can think of that when I asked him or the best thing that he's ever said, he says it's more of like a pile driver or a jackhammer approach. So he, he does a bunch of research. He has a basic uh, hypothesis in a given general area. And then he just creates a huge amount of trials in in that given area uh, quickly and as cheaply as possible, and then just you know watches what occurs, right? So I think coatings was within the wingspan of curiosity, and that's how he I think okay. got to it. Interesting, makes sense. That yeah, that is something that 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 could be a whole show of its own some point you know how you know, do I, I think you know when you're an innovator that. and you're trying to like you said disrupt sometimes it's it's very stressful right like it sounds awesome but when you're going through it's stressful i think to a point where you know you might have to even get therapy because or you see a therapist because you have so much on your plate because you know you know it's kind of that zigzag path to get to that end thing that works right Certainly is, yeah. Very interesting. You kind of think of Thomas Edison and all those guys too. So, so let's kind of flip gears here a little bit. I'd love to talk a little bit about um, your podcast. You are an incredibly busy guy, um, and you're often on the other side of the microphone. So, thank you for switching sides with us this week. But um, 
you've got two podcasts, I believe, Specified Growth and Roofer Reflections. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, what your goals are, who your targeted audiences are, um, who your typical guests are, uh, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So the Specified uh, podcast uh, mainly started out of the need to, to um, continually sort of find ways to put myself out there and become more com- uh, comfortable. Like I'm an introvert, you know, all, all, you know, uh, 20 some odd years. And, you know, if you want to push new ideas, if you want to naturally introduce new things, which I have a tendency to like to do, um, you have to put yourself out there and it's like a muscle. If you stop doing it or if it's, if it's a different venue, then, um, you know, it, it sort of, um, ceases to be as effective. So part of it was that. The other part is I find that the construction industry is very, very complicated in the roofing industry and stuff like that. There's many different decision makers, influencers. Every market is slightly different, right? So one market, the specifiers could be a key. The other market, the contractors could be a key. There's this nuances of it. You almost have to create like a a mini launch in any jurisdiction. And I just didn't understand that very well. I wanted to become a better operator and I couldn't go to one person that I felt knew it all. So in, in order to, you know, have an excuse to talk to all the people that I want to talk to and learn, um, I started the podcast and yeah. that's how it originally uh, started. And it just kind of went from there. And then I realized I started to talk to, you know, I wanted to talk to more roofers, but I didn't want to turn into a roofer show because I, I wanted, um, you know, a broader base there. And so I started this one where I was interviewing more roofers. And then I realized the value of um, telling people or sharing people's stories and dispelling um, myths within the roofing industry and helping the trade. There was good feedback. So that's kind of how I evolved. When you talk about being busy, I try to view it as, hey, who are the people I want to connect with? Who are the people would I, I would just meet anyways that I want to get to know? And why don't we just record it anyways? Very cool. And, and I have to say, when I was on your show, it, it very much had that feel. We were just sitting down having a conversation, um, you know, just two folks. And, yeah, cool stuff. So, uh, you know, one of the things I do know sometimes you dig into a little bit, too, is kind of, you know, what what drives people, what um, is important to them in their businesses. Is there anything that you pick up on as trends that just are real hallmarks of successful businesses. I mean, things that just seem to come up in episode after episode after episode. So like, yeah, that's got to be something we got to pay attention to. Sure. I mean, the the, the sim- simplest uh, advice I've ever heard is, I think uh, this is a memorable episode. It was in episode 11. Um, is someone that has been like a very informal mentor here and there over the years is uh, you know, the guy that sort of helped scale BlackBerry originally. So he built a business from zero to, to $350 million. It was a con- computer distribution business. And on the side, he he came in as a uh, founding board member at 100 employees and grew it to 15000 And I think he's invested in another 150 companies, but no one seems to know him. He's kind of the most, to me, underrated entrepreneurs. And um, he goes, because I interviewed him, and... Like, 
all he did was he just looked at the next side of biz, uh, size of business. So when he was at a certain size, he looked at the next size and see what they were doing, take 10 ideas, see which two or three worked. And then he just kept doing it over and over. If he had a problem about, you know, let's say, you know, he was at a thousand tr transactions a day and they need to move to 10,000 transactions, he would go to a company that was doing 10,000 transactions a day and looked at what they were doing, take the 10 ideas from different companies, find the two that worked. And I think that's the thing. When you're very, very small as an organization, the, the broad-based ideas work, right? You know, as a leader, you should do this. In marketing, you should do this. But as your business becomes more nuanced and sophisticated, you know, you know, as as a leader of the organization or the people in the organization just become the experts in it, right? So, you know, how do you provide more workable ideas to systematically test and work into it? Because no one from the outside is going to be able to come in and just jump in and, you know, lay down a piece of advice that's going to transform everything, you know, your business becomes very nuanced. I taught if you look at your business, it has so many diff different components. Even if, you know, I talk to a thousand people, I, I would have no idea what I'm doing in terms of impacting organization. It's so nuanced. And I think that's the most important thing is when I talk to these, it's the curiosity, the, you know, ammunition on well, maybe we can solve this problem this way that's most valuable, opposed to the exact advice, right? Like, you know, no one has the exact path of winning, right? It's all kind of based on, uh, you know, very, um, you know, nuanced things, but it, it helps to have a big, broad database of ideas. That's very interesting. I, I love that, where you were talking about the gentleman from BlackBerry, you know, look at the next size of business up and make that list of 10 things and figure out what you're going to go after. That's a, that's an amazing approach um, that never heard of before. So thank you. I love the sim simplicity in that. <laughs> yeah. Not not easy. It's, it doesn't mean it's easy, but just right. the simplicity in, in that idea. Yeah. yeah. No, that tickles me. That's That's good stuff. Very, very neat. Well, we think a lot of our audience members here on the show, uh, Tats, are younger folks who are, you know, just getting started in their careers in construction or design or maybe manufacturing in some cases. Um, any just overriding advice you would have for someone who is, you know, young in their career in their 20s or something and just trying to figure out this industry? Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I can say, and this is what's worked for me, so I have no idea if it'll work for them, is when I was running a company that was working with all sorts of different types of products and, and things and launching them into, I think, roughly about 50 different industries. So I did about 100 different product launches in 50, uh, 50 different industries, so about 70% commercial and stuff like um, our consumer is just the more diversity that you can get, put yourself into situations or expose you to different, you know, mindsets or industries or ideas, I think that'll serve you well. Like you're in construction, but I, I had a, a foot into uh, online or technology entrepreneurs, not because I wanted to start a business there or, or wanted to do that, is that I always find that the best ideas have always have already existed in some form somewhere else, 
right? Mm -hmm. So if you're just looking, you know, right in your industry, narrow, you know, just one step over, you know, there's an idea that you may be able to turn into one of those 10 ideas and, and try and, and um, work in and, and make the difference. So I always say, if you're starting a uh, career, there's two ways to become an expert. You could spend 20 years grinding on a very, very um, large topic. Like, let's say I want to become an expert in marketing. Okay, well, to be recognized as a marketing expert will probably take you about 20 years to really understand marketing and marketing strategy. It's a very difficult At area. Least, yes. Yeah, but if you were to get on a brand new platform and become an absolute specialist and run run faster than anyone else, it'd probably take you a year. It'll take you a year to do that. And I did that with LinkedIn. I got on LinkedIn in 2004. This is just before, just when I came out of the technology uh, uh, sort of Silicon Valley areas and it's the first million users. It's like hundreds of millions now. And in my area, I was the only one that knew anything about it but there was interest in it and people would bring me in as speakers. And when I do a speech, I'd say, hey, this is how it works. This is how it benefits me. And then give me your business cards and I'll add you as my contacts and I'll be your resource. And I just, I did about 30 or 40 speeches and I'm a horrible speaker, like, you know, especially back then. And, but they couldn't find anyone better. Like women's entrepreneur groups, they couldn't find a, Woman to present because there was no one. So, you know, one mm. way you can approach things is to go into an area that has little competition. That's new. You're not always going to be right, but to move quickly, fail quickly, and to get the results, you can instantly give yourself a, you know, a leg up in that area. So you have to be bumping up against the 30,000 max connections in LinkedIn, don't you? <laughs> well, I, I, I try not to approach it as the, the, <laughs> the max uh, connection things, right? Because I think sometimes, um, you know, people get so stuck on the, the, the numbers, right? And in most businesses, especially B2B businesses, like the next 10 good contacts, you know, are huge. I think Todd, in, in your business or maybe in your, your area as well, Ryan, I know you're you have a, a startup is, you know, if you look at all the contacts of the all the customers you have, uh let's say Todd, and you think of just visualize two or three of the best ones, and you think what percentage of those two to three really good ones, you know. And, and what that impacts your business. And without fail, it's massive. So why we focus on the next 100,000, why don't we just focus on the 10 really good ones, right? Mm. And using social media as a way to attract and identify the next one, two, three, five, um, and not think about the 100,000, right? And just optimizing for that. So not every business works well that way. I think in the consumer products business, it's more about audience development. I think there's three buckets, right? There's using social media to augment your network and your relationship building. There's 
the audience building, which is a very narrow path and basically, you know, talking about very, very similar topics. And then there's community building, which is more like finding like, you know, let's say 20 like-minded people and then, you know, finding a way to not be the center of it and to cultivate uh, success all around. So I think in the B2B side, it's the most easiest to approach it from an augmenting relationship building and stuff like that, opposed to a pure audience development approach. That's great advice. I remember when I was a number of years ago, I was younger. Yeah, we were all younger a number of years ago, weren't we, now that I think <laughs> about it. But anyway, um, <laughs> I remember someone had talked to me about uh, something that uh, they had referred to as Chinese marketing. And the, and the idea was if I could sell to 1% or one-tenth of a percent <laughs> of all the people in China, you know, this is what would result. And, and you know, everyone is always kind of laughs about that because it's just not realistic. But uh, what you just said is is right. Focus on that, that next 10 or that next five that can yeah. really move your business. Yeah, I like an, another part. one, uh, slightly different version of that. I've I heard very well of Airbnb um, story, which um, yeah, Brian Chesky had an interview with uh, Reed Hoffman, who's the founder of LinkedIn. Um, it was the first episode of a, a show called Master of Scale. And I think this applies to any startup is instead of trying to get a thousand customers, Try to figure out how to make one person happy, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, with your product or your service or whatever. And if you, after you make one person happy, make two people happy with your product. And when you get to ten, figure out how, what twenty percent it gets eighty percent of the results, and then start to scale from there, right? Maybe you get to your first hundred or something. But like you said, simple, but requires discipline and hard work. But just start by making one person ridiculously happy. That's good stuff. So so do you think that that can also be applied? I mean, a lot of our audience members are B2C type customers. You think that can also apply to a B2C business as well? I think when you're validating a business, absolutely. I yeah. think that's, that's what you do. At some point with the B2C one, I think because of the transaction volumes are so tight, Right. So the, the average sale is a lot lower on the consumer product side than the B2B side. Sure. Right. So it's slightly different. You actually have to get very, very good at audience building. So that's the other thing. Right. When you look at, you know, an entrepreneur, no one has all the skills. Right. When you say someone is an expert in marketing, well, marketing has, you know, arguably 50 or more different sub disciplines. Uh, I've never met anyone that's, you know, better than three or four or two, right? So within that scope, you know, are, are are your skills in line with the type of business you're trying to operate? You know, consumer product business, you, you may need to get very, very good at creating uh, high percentage hits on viral content. Are you good at that, right? Are you good at or are you good at like meeting people face to face and working through like a consultative process and getting a referral and doing that? You have to make sure the business matches your temperament or your or your sort of core 
contacts. Like there was that ongoing joke before. I know Todd, you've always liked websites. Is that your website was as good as your closest friend or your contact, right? And and how good they were at design. Now, web design is more accessible now, but I think that still relates, right? Mm-hmm. Like if your accounting is good, you probably hired a really good accountant, or you're very very close to someone that takes finance very closely. So, evaluating your network. Around all the functional areas and seeing how close you are to those, assessing your skill set, and trying to constantly get、uh, better or、um, your network more solid around that is just—I feel like it's a valuable process. Absolutely, good stuff. Well, Tats, this has been great.、Um... Very interesting, and and we could talk a long time, but、uh, we really are close to wrapping up the business end of things. It's been a real pleasure.、Um, is there anything we haven't covered today that you'd definitely like to get out there for our audience today? Um, I mean, I I think you know there is a huge opportunity in the construction industry. I mean, it has such a big impact on the economy. The carbon footprint. There's all sorts of、um, opportunities. So, you know, whether it's attracting, you know, great marketers, great technology individuals, you know, people that want to work、uh, in the labor force, whatever.、Um, uh, I think there's a huge opportunity. Like, if you were to go to the tech sector, which has a lot of appeal for the the younger generation, it is. So heavily competed, right? You you have an advantage for about a day, right? <laughs> it works. People see it. You know, th- those automatic bots, you know, clue in on it, and your adva- your advantage evaporates. You can take that same idea, and then you can apply it to certain parts of the construction industry for two or three years, and still maintain that advantage. So, I think you know, looking at construction, if you want to make an impact. If you want to,、um, you know, do well. I think that's huge, and、um, you know, I'm I'm going to do whatever I can to keep promoting the opportunities and and trying to highlight the people that are doing awesome things. And I appreciate what you both do because I know, you know, does it, you know, immediately、uh, sort of impact your day to day. But I think overall,、um, it'll help all of us. Yeah, well, good stuff. You keep up the great work out there. I I love what you're doing, and this has just been so insightful talking with you today.、Um, well, before we close out,、um, I have to ask you if you're willing to participate in something we call our rapid fire questions. So, Tats, these are seven questions, maybe a little serious, maybe a little silly. All you got to do is give an answer to each, and、uh, our audience understands. If you agree to do this, you have no idea what we're about to ask. So. Are you up to、Anything、the challenge? Anything for the cause. Anything, Anything for the cause. Good one. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go forward.、Um, we will alternate asking. You want to ask the first question, Ryan? Sure, I'd love to. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hopefully, I can enunciate this properly. I've got a little tickle in my throat. What product have you bought in a recent、uh, memory that has been a disruptor or game changer for you?、Um, I, I think I. I I took up、uh, pickleball recently, and being a tennis、uh, person,、uh, I think some of my tennis、uh, friends would be、uh, disappointed. But I think that's、uh, the accessibility of that sport is going to change things.、Very. I keep seeing a lot of that. 
you know, what I was a holdout, but you know, it's it's way more participation friendly. Yeah. Well, we're in a town of about twenty thousand, and there's another town up the road about ten miles away, about twenty thousand. Both towns are putting in, um, you know, pay for pickleball courts at this point. Uh, they'll be open this summer, so very. Cool. I think it's a lesson, though. I mean, tennis is very, very hard to mm. get gain a base level of ability. So that this this thing could apply to business, right? How do you make it easy for people to get started with you? Right. So wow. pickleball is way easier to just have fun with. Tennis takes a lot longer to, uh, you know, be fun and, and exercise. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I got to ask what's easier about pickleball than tennis? I've never played pickleball. Uh, well, it's just, you just have to make contact. It's like, it's like badminton, right? So, okay. whereas tennis, you know, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong while you're making contact because that ball flies off the, uh, the racket much quicker. Okay. That's it. You just make business analogies out of everything. <laughs> I love this. I love it. Okay. Rapid fire question number two. Um, what part of a business do you think absolutely must be gotten right? In other words, if you're in business and you don't get this right, there's no point in even attempting anything else. Well, you have to make it profitable. Business has three buckets, right? Demand gen, operations, which is keeping your internal team happy and your customers happy and doing it profitably. So you have to be at least good in one, average in two. So you can't outsource it without being average. So I think, but the, the one that I think entrepreneurs miss the most is the doing it profitably bucket. Um, you know, I thought all entrepreneurs knew how to do it. Well, and I struggle with this as well. But, and I realized that, you know, the, the financial bucket is the one that commonly is the weakness. Yeah, and that's one that will drive a company under the quickest also. Very, I, I love those three buckets. So that's mm -hmm. good stuff. Good stuff. Next question. What would you like to be remembered for? Wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's just someone that cared, wanted to make a difference. Um, mainly, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I have kids that uh, I was doing a good thing. Good stuff. Next question. What was the first car you ever owned? Wow. Um, I had a hand-me-down Dodge Neon. And uh, it was a green one. And uh, when it was icy out, it would slide on the road like a hockey puck. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I could picture the, the green Dodge Dion, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your favorite meal? Wow. Um, I, I love breakfast. I mean, I'll eat breakfast at night. Um, you, know, you know, I don't know why there's a designation, but I, I love breakfast. <laughs> So I'm never, I love breakfast food, but I'm not a more, I don't eat in the morning. Like I'm not hungry until like lunchtime. So we do breakfast for dinner a lot, like nice. at least every other week, if not weekly here. That's but, what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to continue with another food question. Um, do you prefer the top or bottom half of a bagel? Wow. Uh, I didn't know there was a difference, but I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it's the, the doughier, I think it's doughier on the bottom. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The bottom for sure. Interesting. So, so I'm, I'm complete opposite. I eat the bottom first cause I enjoy the top the most and I save it for last. So, but got it. 
Good stuff. Okay, we're down to our last question, Ryan. Would you prefer to have to wear bell-bottom pants or have your hair styled in a mohawk? Uh, I've never worn bell-bottom pants, so I'm willing to give that a try. <laughs> that, that beats out the mohawk, huh? I was hoping you would just say you'd do both. <laughs> oh man, that, that was the right answer, by the way. <laughs> Whatever, he would draw some business analogy out of it and we'd all be wiser at the end. I have no doubt. I held back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's revisit. Um, we were all successful on our challenge words. <laughs> um, I was so impressed I... with Ryan's. Ryan's uh, <laughs> I was just like blown away. It's like, I had to get it in there. Level. Todd, so, I, th I think you threw me a layup at the beginning and I missed it. Oh, <laughs> that no, I, that not I could... intentionally. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, that's all right. But I, I was like, that would have been the perfect time to sneak it in. Sorry. I'm not that kind. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the word tickle that I squeezed in. Tats, you had the word therapist, therapist right? Think, yeah. Got it worked in. And Ryan had enunciate. enunciate. Did a great job working again. Now I don't know. I didn't realize I kind of threw you one at the beginning. I th I think I I mean I I could it wasn't like perfect, but I could have snuck it in there. <laughs> it's okay. Well, this has been great. Um, very very much a pleasure, Tats, and very eye opening and uh, just wise. Just a lot of wisdom today. So that's good stuff. So, um, if folks want to get in touch with you or just follow what you're up to, um, how can they most easily do that? I mean, I'm on different social media platforms. I'd have to say I'm most active on LinkedIn. So follow or or, or connect through there. Uh, just know uh, lead, lead messages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Everyone wants to sell you leads, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Well, thank you again so much. This has been great. I um, really enjoyed it. All right. Thank and... you. Thank you both. I will thank our audience, too, for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with Tatsuya Nakagawa, known as TATS, with Castagra. And he's also host of the Specified Growth and Roofer Reflections podcasts. So I encourage you, please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We're always blessed with great guests. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. And until the next time we're together, keep on disrupting. Um, don't forget, to to have a positive impact on everyone you in, uh, encounter. Make them smile. Encourage them. Simple yet powerful things you can do. Um, God bless and take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off. Until the next episode of Construction Disruption. This podcast is produced by Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building products. <laughs>